Today is Monday, November 1st. The title for our devotional is Prosperity for Generosity. Remember, in this Reconstruct campaign, we are attempting to untangle the aspects of our faith that are more cultural than Christian and reconstruct our faith on the truth of Jesus. This week, we're looking at the acquisition of wealth and the pursuit of prosperity. To be clear here, we're talking this week about the idolization or the overemphasis on the pursuit of wealth, not just wealth itself. To be wealthy is not wrong. Wealth is not an evil in itself. Scripture tells us that a love of money is a root of all kinds of evil in 1 Timothy 6.10. So again, we're looking at the love and idolization of money as a heart problem, not money itself. I think it's also important at the outset to clarify that it's not just money itself that we're usually pursuing, it is the things that money brings us. It's the comfort, luxuries, privileges, and experiences that we are truly pursuing. With wealth, we can go on more vacations to cooler places. When we have wealth, we can drive a better car, which may be rooted in a desire for more luxury, a more fun experience, dependability and safety, that is a reduced fear of breaking down, or even a social statement to improve your reputation. Many of these things we desire are noble, uh, like financial security, better education for our children, a greater inheritance for our grandchildren, to make more so we can give more. It's important to note this at the outset because prosperity represents the meeting of different needs for different personalities. For one, prosperity meets the need of security. For another, prosperity meets the need of adventure and affords the ability to travel, dine out, or go to events. For another, it represents comfort with the ability to make life easy. At the outset, it's important to process through which of these your personality is most prone to idolizing wealth in search of. This isn't all that profound, I know, but I think we often play this little game in our minds and get around our idolization of wealth. We deceive ourselves into thinking that we are not idolizing money per se. All the while, we are, as one example, terribly worried about our financial security and unable to truly trust God with our financial future, which is the root of our sin in that instance. That said, uh, it should come as no surprise to us that our culture idolizes the acquisition of wealth. Our consumerism certainly exacerbates this drive. For example, so many advertisements operate on monetizing our discontent and greed. They often portray people living, quote, the good life and leave the viewer thinking that they need that product to live the good life like that individual in the ad. They remind us that you deserve it, that new phone or car or luxurious vacation. Uh, To have all this stuff, we need to acquire more wealth, so it fuels and drives our desire and idolization of wealth. This ideology has certainly found its way into the American church as well. In its more extreme form, it is known as the prosperity gospel. In essence, this teaching asserts that it is God's desire to give every believer health and wealth if they only have enough faith. Therefore, when a believer is sick or impoverished, it is a result of their lack of faith. It doesn't take the gift of discernment to realize that guys like Kenneth Copeland and Benny Hinn are charlatans essentially running a long con in the name of Jesus. These extreme forms of prosperity gospel are rejected by most Christians. Yet the effect of that teaching in softer forms has reverberated into the larger church. This has become a growing blind spot for followers of Jesus in America. In his book, After Doubt, A.J. Swoboda tells the story of visiting an African-majority Muslim country an African-majority Muslim country, I should say, where there were only 25 known Christians in a city of one million. He asked if he could meet these Christians who were willing to sacrifice so much for Jesus. The response from the leaders uh, that he was engaging with was a bit of a wake-up call. 
He writes, I was grieved when they told us that we couldn't meet with them. The reason was simple. They didn't want our consumeristic, America-centric enlightenment faith to rub off on the African Christians. He goes on, our form of faith, they told us, was toxic for African Christians. They didn't want our enlightenment to rub off on them. One such example of this in the American church culture is a book titled The Prayer of Jabez, which came out in 2000. It was wildly popular. It was the number one book on Amazon at one point. It reached the top of the New York Times bestseller list. Uh, It sold millions and millions of copies. And it's a bit dated, but I've heard it referenced a few times lately on Twitter or something. I don't remember where. So I thought I'd bring it up here. Um, To be honest, I haven't read the book, nor do I intend to, mostly because I don't want to encourage this type of book uh, by giving them my money. Uh, But the Amazon description gives me a good idea exactly of what this book is all about. I've made some brief comments on it, more uh, the more misleading statements on the devotional page, if you want to go over there and check those out. But otherwise, I'll just read through it quickly. Uh, So the simple prayer, dramatic life change. It's a timeless prayer that produces timely results. Bruce Wilkinson takes readers to 1 Chronicles 4.10 to discover how they can release God's miraculous power and experience the blessing God longs to give each of us. Right there is problematic. Blessing is the assumption that God, in this context, um, longs to give each of us material blessing. The life of Jabez, one of the Bible's most overlooked heroes of the faith. He's not. Burst from unbroken pages of genealogies in an audacious four-part prayer that brings him an extraordinary measure of divine favor, anointing, and protection. Readers who commit to offering the same prayer on a regular basis will find themselves extravagantly blessed by God and agents of his miraculous power in everyday life. The next title is our heading is, Do You Want to Be Extravagantly Blessed by God? Who doesn't, right? The main problem here is that we can't make that promise for God, that God wants to bless with material wealth and health and prosperity everyone in the same way. He doesn't. He never promises that, and that's not a promise that we can make for him. So here's the text that this book is based on. It's in First Chronicles 4.10. Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I may be free from pain. And God granted his request. There are many problems with the, this approach to the prayer of Jabez, as the article below illustrates well. And I've also linked you to a sermon uh, by Charles Spurgeon uh, that is a much better reading on this as well. But big picture, any teaching on wealth that doesn't take seriously the life and teaching of Jesus is not really to be taken seriously for followers of Jesus. Jesus spent way more time warning us about the dangers of wealth than encouraging us to chase it. Jesus said things like, looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. That's in Luke 6.20. In Matthew 6.24, he says, No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Luke 16.9, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. That uh, verse in Luke 16.9 is one is a difficult, difficult uh, passage to read and understand about the shrewd manager. But again, Jesus tells us to use wealth to make friends for ourselves, not to just pursue wealth for wealth's sake. These verses obviously are not the whole of what the Bible teaches on wealth, but they certainly must be dealt with honestly as they are the words of our Lord himself. For additional content, I've linked you to an article from the Gospel Coalition on this topic, as well as a uh, sermon that you can purchase 
on Amazon from Charles Spurgeon on the prayer of Jabez. Today, reflect on the underlying desire for wealth for you. Is it luxury and comfort you're chasing? Is it security? Is it bigger, better, more fun experiences? Is it social credibility? What are the primary motives for pursuing wealth? These are the, at the heart of the issue, and we need to address these first instead of just focusing on wealth itself.